Awesome. Thanks, guys. So uh, that's what's happening the last uh, Sunday of the month. And uh, I think uh, at the last revival night, we had six or seven different churches joining us uh, for that as well. There's a real stirring that's happening in the region at the moment. And you always uh, find this. This is a pattern of awakening during times of great cultural disruption. You also have uh, this rising up of spiritual fervor and passion and prayer uh, as people turn to seek, uh, to seek God. And so uh, we are doing what we can to steward that in this moment. One of the things that I, that I try to pastor in this church is I try to pastor a spirit of revival. The idea that it's not just a, a conference or a weekend event, but instead it's an environment of renewal that people are developed in. And, uh, you know, sometimes when, when people are new to the church and they'll ask this question, they'll go, what's pursuit about or what's the ethic of the church or what's the vision? What are you going after? It's that, that video. It's that. We'll post it online. Watch that. Tell your friends. That's what I'm going after. Because I believe if we have an unmitigated outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that it will accomplish more in one moment than a thousand church services and 10,000 hours. One moment in God's presence, it changes things. And so for us, that's, that's what we believe. That's what we're going after. And uh, we, we had it already in June, but July and August, we're going to gather the region, and we're going to pray, intercede, and we're going to worship. And we are going to be a part uh, of what uh, God uh, is doing here next. Uh, this morning, I'm going to preach uh, to you out of uh, the book of Matthew uh, in chapter 7. I had an experience uh, a few weeks ago. I know since the shutdown, uh, a lot of people have been limiting travel. I've actually been traveling more for whatever reason during the shutdown uh, than normal. I was in Fort Worth preaching last week. A few weeks ago, uh, I was in Las Vegas with uh, Mike Lighty, and we were ministering at uh, ICLV, the International Church of Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, yeah, Mike and I uh, stayed uh, on the strip in Vegas uh, at a hotel called the MGM. Uh, and it, it is one of the primary hotels there. I think we were on the 18th floor, and it, it kind of overlooks the entire city. And, and, and you know, one of the mornings, we were getting ready, going to head to the church. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, as we were standing in our hotel room, the entire building began to sway. And in, in, in that moment, you, uh, you always have kind of these thoughts, like, did I stand up too quickly, and I'm just a little off balance? Am I imagining this? Is this actually happening? Uh, because I think probably the last place that you want to be in the world when an earthquake strikes is on the 18th floor, in the MGM, in Sin City, on the Strip. And so anyways... <laughs> Uh, th those are the thoughts that are going through my head as we're in the hotel room and the building begins to sway uh, back and forth. And, and, and lo and behold, we were having an earthquake. It was out uh, in the desert, and so we weren't feeling uh, a, a majority of the impact, but enough to make this entire building sway back and forth. Uh, and it was in that moment that I kind of had this revelation. I'm going to share it with you this morning, and it's simply this. You never care about the integrity of a structure until its strength is tested. Even in the remodel of this building, uh, probably the biggest project that we did, and, and of course we hired in help and experts and structural engineers for this, but we, we, we raised these two giant metal I-beams into the ceiling. Each of these I-beams is rated to hold 500,000 pounds each. And the reason why we had to do that is because originally this building was three buildings. It had been added onto over the years and connected together, and so the roof joists run different ways, and we had a bunch of glue lamb columns that were basically clogging up the entire range of view here in the front, and so we had to replace those and put in these beams, and 
and jackhammer down four feet and tie in rebar. And I feel like I got a PhD in construction over the last 24 months of working in this building. Uh, but they had to be raided that much because of the new earthquake regulations in our county. They also had to be raided to carry that load because of what they call the snow load effect in the winter. Because our roof is flat, when it snows, there's a lot more weight that's added to the structural condition of the building. And when you're putting up things like, you know, really expensive uh, uh, 500,000 pound rated I-beams, you just want to get it up as soon as possible, get it done right, and move on to the next project. But when you're in the middle of a snowstorm, you're glad that it's passed all of the engineer ratings, it's been signed off by all of the county officials, you're glad that it holds what it says it will hold. In the midst of building, in the midst of grinding, in the midst of just trying to get it done, it feels like every other little thing that you have to do is ancillary and not really necessarily connected to the project. But when it's tested by a shaking in the ground, you're glad that it holds what it says it will hold. And for you and I, Apostle Paul mentions this in the book of Hebrews, we are in a season where everything that can be shaken will be shaken to reveal the things that can't be shaken. And so we are in a cultural moment and a spiritual moment that are all agreeing on this reality of there is a time of shaking that is coming to our world. And it is going to reveal the things that you thought you needed that you don't actually need. It's also going to reveal the things that you didn't think you need that you actually really need. And ultimately what it will reveal is the foundation of what your life has been built upon. I think oftentimes we look at shakings or trials or seasons of difficulty as always demonic. And can I tell you this this morning, friend? Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's demonic. In fact, God uses difficult things all the time as a tool of our development. It doesn't mean he causes the difficulty of your life, but he means if you let him, he'll use the difficulty of your life to develop you into fullness and into maturity. I think sometimes as charismatics, we want to cast the demon out of everything that inconveniences us. And I believe in demons, and I believe in casting them out. But I also believe that sometimes we over-spiritualize difficulty because we don't want to develop. Well, let me just cancel. I just cancel that. I just cast that out. I just... Well, actually, you're facing some difficulty because you got some immaturity in your life. And, and God, God is going to cause you to develop out of it. And development never feels good while it's happening, but we always appreciate it in perspective when we look back. And for you and I, we think about those things as it pertains to the conversation that happens in the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 7. The Bible says this in verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, they'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Fred, there's two things I want you to notice this morning. Number one, both houses are fine until there's a storm. Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 7, if the storm comes, it will test the foundation of what you've built upon. It says, when the storm comes, it will test the foundation of what you have. 
I think sometimes for us, we have developed a theology that doesn't have any room for us to park things like pain, disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, things of that nature. And for you and I, as we reflect on who Jesus is, as we reflect on the ethic of Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that one of the things that people deal with all the time is difficulty. And if you think that your relationship with Jesus is like a get-out-of-difficulty-free card, you've misunderstood the cross. <laughs> the cross doesn't eliminate our pain. It gives purpose to our pain. See, when you come to Jesus, your pain never gets wasted again. But without Jesus, you're just a victim of the circumstances of your own life. What we see in Matthew 7 is Jesus utilizing a, a short story, a parable, to illustrate a kingdom characteristic to, to illustrate what it looks like to, to follow Christ, to, to illustrate what it looks like to grow and develop and mature in the Lord. And, 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 and he uses the story of, of these two houses. It would be familiar language for Jesus as the son of a carpenter and as a carpenter himself. He's used to the construction and the building process. He's reflecting on his own background, but bringing it into the foreground of those who are listening in that moment. And Jesus essentially helps us understand this reality. Storms and, 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 and rain aren't necessarily spiritual warfare. In fact, a lot of times they're just the reflection of life's circumstance. I want you to see something here uh, in this moment. And I think most of you have probably had this experience. So let me relay it to you as briefly as I can today. Uh, for uh, you, uh, when you like go back um, to visit a place either where you grew up at uh, a place uh, of employment, a, a church that you used to go to. Oftentimes when we go back to places later on in life, the way that we remember them in our mind is not actually how they look in practice, right? Like that house you grew up in that you thought was like so big and cool and awesome. And then it goes on the market like 20 years after you've moved out of it and you just go visit it just for fun. And then you recognize it's small, ugly and it smells <laughs> and, and, and you recognize that the way that I remembered it growing up is not actually the way that it is today. Uh, we we, we, we kind of have these experiences and, and, and I had it not too long ago with um, my son uh, Matthew uh, when he was five years old and I was taking him uh, with me on a trip down to uh, Tacoma and uh, we had driven by some time ago like a Chuck E. Cheese. And, and he, he, of course, didn't, doesn't know how to read. But he saw this giant rat on the side of a building. And he thought, that's where I want to go. And so he's been asking me to take him to Chuck E. Cheese. And I grew up going to Chuck E. Cheese. And so I remembered it one way. But I was about to have a new experience with Chuck E. Cheese with my five-year-old. This happened not too long ago. And so we were going down to Tacoma. And uh, I, had to, I had to pick up something that uh, I had lost. And, and we had rolled up to the Chuck E. Cheese, and Matthew got out, and he was super excited. We ran in, and God is my witness, we're the only people in this building. Uh, and uh, we're running around, and he wants to play on everything and, and, and interact with all the um, activities that they have there. And then all of a sudden, I feel this presence walking behind me. And I turn around, and it's an adult man in a giant rat costume. And the music is playing, and it's really happy, but he's just walking around very kind of depressed and stoic and, and you would be too if you were an adult man in a giant rat costume and so he's throwing tickets everywhere and celebrating and 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 I'm watching Matthew interact with him and Matthew's just standing there staring and I'm standing there staring and I had in that moment this um, revelation of going this is not the way that I remembered it growing up 
okay? This is not the way that I remembered it. It's not, it's, not, it's not how I understood it at his age. I have now a different perspective of these events. Uh, and, and, and I think sometimes for us, as we grow uh, and as we uh, develop in the Lord and as we develop and mature in life, uh, we have um, memories of previous seasons that are more glamorous than they actually were. And sometimes in difficulty, it creates a longing in our heart for what we call simpler times. Like, man, can we just go back to when life was so much simple, life without kids, life without a mortgage, life without responsibility, life without, and we remember things more glamorous than they actually were. And Fred, can I, I, can I tell you today in your theological growth, in your spiritual maturity, uh, when you go through a, a difficult season, it is so imperative that you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Because if not, what you become is like Lot's wife who reflects on her past and becomes a statue to what is instead of a person growing and developing to what's next. And sometimes in difficulty, we hit the stop button, we hit the pause button, and in a longing way, we reflect on where we've come from. Like, man, it was so much easier to manage this church where there was only 50 people. And you know what? In some sense, that's true. But in another sense, it's not true at all. I remember when we had 50 people, we couldn't afford to pay the rent on our porta-potties. <laughs> And I just thought, God, if you just send 20 more people who are employed, who will invest in this vision, God, it'll be so much easier. And God sent them. And we went from 50 people-sized problems to 70 people-sized problems. And then to 100 people-sized problems. And then to 500 and, 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 and what I realized was that at every stage in life, you face difficulty. And almost all the time, it serves as an invitation into your development. And so Jesus here in Matthew 7 doesn't say the storms are from Satan and cast them out and deny them. And if you give your life to me, you'll never face difficulty again. He says, when the storms come, it reveals what you've been built upon. And you've got to make a decision in that moment. Are the things that I've invested in wise like the rock? Or are they foolish like the sand? Number two, watch what Jesus says here. He says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. Friend, we live in the information age. And it's my conviction that the church does not suffer from a lack of information. It suffers from a lack of activation. It suffers from a lack of implementation. We live in the information age. At any moment, you can take this supercomputer out of your pocket and you can have access to the best teaching and the best worship and the best theology and the best information that exists on the planet today. And if only information was the primary thing that the church was missing, it's almost as if there is something more sacred. Watch Jesus' conversation with his disciples later on in the Gospels, where he says, who do men say that I am? And they go, well, some say that you're Elijah, and others say that you're one of the other prophets. And, and then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter raises his head and says, well, we think you're the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon that rock of revelation, I will build my church. Which means what you need most in your life is not more information, but more revelation that leads to activation for the information you've already received. And we are over-informed. 
We've got all the formulas. You've heard all the spiritual principles. We've got all the laws. We know exactly how it works. If you've sat in church for any measure of time, you've heard every passage preached on twice. We've got all the information we need. But Jesus in Matthew 7 says it's not just about hearing the words. It's about putting them into practice. Later on, Scripture will say it this way. A, a, a man who hears the word but doesn't do the word is like one who looks at a mirror and sees his reflection, but as soon as he walks away, he, he forgets what he looks like. Now, I feel like for us, if we could transition our way of thinking, not just from the need to hear more, to hear different, or, 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 or to hear things in a new light, to now activating based on what we've already heard, it would lead to some serious transformation in our life. The way that you interact with the Word of God directly translates to the consistency and the constitution of your foundation. See, the Word of God and the words from God become the rock that we're settled on so that when storms of confusion and doubt and faithlessness come our way, we're able to defeat it with the Word of God, the blood of the Lamb, and the power of our testimony. This is the spiritual weapons that you've been equipped with to fight through every storm that comes your way. You know, the primary way that the enemy works when you're in a difficult season as he says what he said to Jesus in the wilderness, did God really say? Right? If you're anything like me, you get in a difficult season, you begin to dig up and doubt what's been planted in faith. You begin to think to yourself, man, did God really call me? Does God really have a gift or an anointing on my life? Does God really want me in this marriage? Does God really want my God? I just, does God, did God really say? I'm like, well, last week before the storm came, you were pretty confident. And now all of a sudden the difficulty is causing things to shake that honestly need to be shaken in order to reveal to you the things that you thought you needed that you don't and the things that you thought you didn't that you do. And in our lives, God used the shaking of life to help us offload unnecessary baggage that we carry from season to season, relationship to relationship, church to church. You know, the great tragedy of life was, of course, you take you with you wherever you go. And shaking helps reveal to us what we're actually built upon. You know, there are things in your life today that you are convinced that you need, that God is convinced that you don't. And in His mercy, He will lead you through seasons where you lose baggage in order to increase the metric of freedom you have in your life. And there are also seasons where you'll, God will take you through things and, 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 and you'll think to yourself, uh, man, I don't, I'm good, I don't need that. Church, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. In the Word, it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got this under control. And you'll get into a season where you reach the end of your rope and you got to tie a knot and hang on because Jesus is all you've got. And he reveals to you things that you took for granted, that you kind of put on the back shelf that actually need to be front and center in your life. And I think we ought to operate with the attitude as believers that we need Jesus more today than we've ever needed him before. We have not graduated out of our great need for who Jesus is. And it translates to the foundation of our life. See, storms are a constant. And, 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 and difficulty is a construct. 
And these things are what we experience as believers on a regular basis. But what I've learned in my life is that God is as faithful on the mountaintop as he is in the valley of the shadow. And when you learn to trust the faithfulness of God in both bitterness and in rejoicing, what it does is it strengthens the core of your life. See, Scripture talks about being strengthened in your inner man. In fact, watch the way that the Bible talks about trial because I think you'll find it interesting this morning. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. James 1 and verse 12, blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James 1 verses 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance, when its work is finished, makes you mature and complete, not lacking anything. Friend, trials aren't meant to prove you to God, they're meant to prove you to you. Think about it. God already knows how you're going to survive the next trial of your life. God doesn't need any more information about your life. Trust me. He already knows. He knows all the drama. He knows all the insecurities. He knows all the strengths, all the weaknesses. He's got the blueprint. He factored in all your stupidity. He still called you. God knows. But you know who doesn't know? You. Why do you think David had to fight the bear and the lion before he faced Goliath? Because once he faced Goliath in the Valley of Eli, he said, I have killed the bear, I have killed the lion, and now I'm coming for you. You face some difficulty that has informed you about who you actually are. You ever in a season you feel like, God, there ain't no way I'm going to make it through. I can't see outside the other end of this thing. God, this might be my end. And a miracle happens and you make it through. What happens in your life? You got confidence. You got encouragement. You got strength. You got passion. You got joy. Because what you thought would take you out has only lifted you up. And it gives you strength for the next difficulty that you're going to face. Why? God knows what's in you, but oftentimes we don't know what's in us. And God uses trials and difficulties to expose the contents of your heart. And you walk through something, you realize, man, I actually have been planted on a rock. It's higher than me. Oh, I'm going to make it. Uh, a thousand may fall at my left and 10,000 at my right, but God's got me. It's not going to come near me. I'm going to make it. I survived the lion. I survived the bear. And somehow, some way, not only am I going to survive, but I'm going to thrive through this season as well. See, I don't want you to survive the shutdown. I don't want you to just survive corona and just barely make it and come out the other side dragging spiritually, needing a, a pastor or a leader to resuscitate your life. No, Fred, this is our opportunity to thrive in the midst of difficulty. We were created for this. We've been buried deep, which means we're connected to living water. We can survive this and not just survive, but thrive and make the God-sized impact that he so desires. Jesus, in the parable of the seed and the sower, says that seed that's planted shallow comes up quick. But watch, the cares of life choke it out. The seed had been planted deep. Sometimes it takes longer to develop. Sometimes it takes longer to get exposed. Sometimes it doesn't have such a, a meteor-type rise that other people's lives have. But the seed that's planted deep watered by the word of God and formed by the community of believers, it produces fruit that remains. It's not just that your trial produces perseverance. Your perseverance, according to James, produces revelation. 
I'm going to end here today, but this is one of the reasons why I love church, just the concept of church. Church gives us the opportunity to have a litany of perspectives all reflecting on the same God. You know, when you're in a season of sickness, God is revealed to you as healer. When you're in a season of lacking resource, God is revealed to you as provider. When you're in a season of sorrow, God is revealed to you as the one who gives joy and enjoy, you find strength. And, and, and we all bring our perspectives of who God is. We agree on the centrality of Jesus, but we all bring our unique perspectives about who Jesus is into this community. When you partner with somebody here, you get to view God through their lens. You might be here today, and you're like, man, I feel great. My health has never been better. But you might be sitting next to somebody, if they don't have a miracle, they might go home. And when you partner your faith to theirs, you get to see God through their lens. And it gives you an empathy. It gives you a supernatural perspective that, that you might not have had before. And Fred, my, my encouragement for you is that when you make a decision in the midst of difficulty to persevere, it produces a revelation about God that you might have never had before. It produces something rich and something deep in our lives. Yeah, none of us appreciate trials in the moment, but we always appreciate the growth that comes from difficulty. It's hard, like even for me, to be like super thankful in this season, right? Like it's, it's difficult. Like we didn't take a course on like pastoring a church in the middle of a pandemic where everybody has opinions 24-7 about what you should do. There wasn't a course on that. It's not what my degree is in. It, it's hard sometimes to be like thankful in the midst of that. Like, awesome, woo, go God. But I know that if we'll be people of prayer, people of dedication, people of commitment, we'll come out the other side of this with the most incredible story our kids will never believe. And so I'm committed to persevering because I know that there is something about God I'm going to learn in this season that will sustain me in the next. There's something I'm gonna learn about him that I don't yet know. Because this God who you can't wrap your mind around is always inviting us into a fresh perspective of who he is. So I'm just convinced if you and I will persevere, if you and I will allow the shaking of life to do what it does best, reveal our foundation, if it will allow, if you'll allow the shaking to help teach you and show you the things that you need to solidify your foundation, also show you the things that you might need to let go of. Old mindsets, old habits, old patterns, old belief systems, old relationships. Brad, I'm convinced that we come out of this founded on the rock that is higher than us, not only surviving the storm, but refined and developed by the difficulty of this season. We're gonna make it together, you and I both. And together we'll come out of it with a testimony and it is the power of our testimony that defeats the enemy every day of the week. Would you stand with me as we close? I wanna pray for you in this moment. We're not doing a whole lot of altar activity during this season, just trying to do our best to respect people's boundaries and, and, and things like that, but I do wanna pray courage and hope and strength into you in this moment. There's some, some of you here today, and you feel like I'm hanging on and I need an infusion of courage in my life if I'm gonna make it through. And right now is your moment to receive.
Others of you have been in difficulty. you got 17 questions and no answers. And you're wondering, does God even care? Friend, in this moment is your opportunity to receive. And together, we're going to add our faith. And we're going to believe that mountains, in fact, do still melt like wax in his presence. God, we pray for your help. God, we pray for your strength in the innermost part of who we are. God, we submit to the development of the storm, knowing that what shakes us doesn't shake you, that you've already seen our tomorrow, you've seen our outcome, you've seen our solution. And so, God, today we trust you with what lies ahead. And, God, we pray for your help in our time of need. God, that we would sense your nearness in this season. Like David, we could say, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. God, we pray for your help in the valley of the shadow. God, we pray for your stability in the midst of difficulty. God, we pray for your strength on the mountaintop. That in every season, what we would come out of is more developed, more mature, more persevering, filled with faith, filled with hope, knowing that the God who has seen our future hasn't given up on our present. And so, God, we say, do your best work in our lives, and we'll give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks so much for joining us for church. You're in our prayers, you're in our thoughts, we believe in you, and together as we believe in God, his hope and his courage is going to emanate from your life, I can promise you that. We'll see you guys, a lot of you next Sunday, 11 a.m., God bless.